welcome back to the Laravel Podcast. We're back from Laracon EU, and we got a little bit different group with us this week. Jeffrey is off touring Bath and Rome and all sorts of famous and beautiful places, while the rest of us are back to work. So uh, we've got a special guest with us, Ian Landsman. Ian, can you uh, just say hi to the folks and introduce yourself real quick? Hello. Yes, I'm Ian Landsman. <laughs> You've probably seen me in pictures kissing Matt Stauffer. <laughs> Oh, I love that picture. I guess I should do that. So Ian, Ian is an incredible person. He's he's influential and been around. I actually decided at one of the Laracons that he is the godfather of Laravel, and you'll hear about that story in a second. Um, but he runs Userscape, and uh, they have a product HelpSpot, and then also they they spun off Be Snappy, and they run Lara Jobs. We'll talk about that in a second. And then also Taylor, you want to say hey? Hey, I'm Taylor Rotwell, creator of Laravel. You may have heard of him before. This Taylor guy. Cool. Well, the first thing I wanted us to talk about this week was, Ian, how did you first get connected to the Laravel scene? And, and why is it that I even call you the godfather of Laravel in the first place? What was What's that look like for you? Yeah, I like that. That's a good term. I got to gotta stick with that one. Put that on the Twitter profile there. Um, I'm going to get you a t-shirt. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, uh, I don't know. We might have talked about this a long time ago on the podcast, but basically I, I was looking around for new frameworks and PHP I guess three and a half years ago, whatever it was, and uh, came across uh, Laravel. Actually, um, came across it via a GitHub like poll or something that Eric Barnes had done when we were interviewing him to hire him, who still works at Userscape, and uh, found Laravel. And I was like, oh, yes, because I've been looking at Symphony and all pretty much just symphony and then there's yeah everybody knows all the other ones but um uh but you know symphony wasn't really my thing and came across laravel and i was like holy crap like this is exactly what i want like i understand this documentation it had documentation the examples in the documentation work the way that they're written out and it's so clean and simple and wonderful and uh yeah so then poked around a little bit on taylor and saw he was the uh, he had I had a thing that he was looking for a job on Forest or something. I don't, I don't even think it was up to date, he said later on, but uh, approached him about working at Agerscape and uh, went from there. And yeah, that was like, I mean, Laravel 1, I guess, or I think it was Laravel 1. Yeah, early days. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize it was so early. When I had heard that story a couple times, I always assumed it was a couple of versions in. So that was really early stages of Laravel. Yeah, very early. Yeah, like the first few months Taylor worked there, we just built out like top Q and he rewrote Eloquent and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, uh, database migrations, because there was no migrations. We built migrations because obviously we had multiple team members that use Escape, and we needed to like keep our databases in sync without telling each other what columns to add to the database and stuff. Yep, so a lot of that enterprise-y kind of stuff made its way in uh, back then, which was really cool, and all stuff we use a lot at Escape now, and obviously uh, so many other people get get the benefit of now. It's, it's so just clean and wonderful it's funny I, i've often said that i think that the best advances uh and the most significant things that happen in laravel are when uh taylor's working on a project and he says this shouldn't be this much work you right. know? <laughs> i want this to be easier like when you hear him talking about where spark came from or whatever else it's like this shouldn't be this much work i'm tired of doing this i think everybody else is too and so it's interesting hearing about especially those early days of development i mean so much happened in first couple versions and so it was working in, you know, with Userscape and the products you guys were working on at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's where a lot of it, you know, came from. Given that experience of using it in a live environment versus just kind of side project stuff and 
things we plan to do with it with HelpSpot and then with building out Snappy, you know, you really start to dig in there on all kinds of weird edge cases and more sophisticated things you need to do. So, uh, so I think that was uh, good for the early days of Laravel there in that regard to uh, kind of get that real world usage. And, and uh, my favorite story is the time he rewrote Eloquent. Like we were trying to do something, we were going to use Doctrine because Eloquent couldn't do, you know, the stuff we needed to do. And he worked on that for like a week or two, or I don't, I don't remember how long. And then he was like, I can't take it. And he just like went off and into some, I imagined him just like, like in this Tupac, <laughs> the Tupac song, he talks about like going blind and just like letting God write for him. And that's how I picture Taylor rewriting Eloquent. <laughs> it was like two days and he just was like, I just imagined him in this like fugue state and he just like woke up from it and it was done. Like, like that's how yeah. it was, that's how it seemed anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we had tried to use Doctrine, and this was actually three years ago or so, and it yeah. couldn't do uh, it couldn't do arbitrary conditions on a left outer join. That was actually the reason <laughs> that a new version of Eloquent got written. Uh, put them wow. over the edge. Let's say that ten times fast. Uh, <laughs> Good so, so we've already yeah we've already learned uh, from just the first couple minutes of the podcast that Ian loves uh, '90s hip hop and um, and movies. <laughs> so we'll delve into these later in the podcast, but you got your introductions there. Exactly. So, well, I know that I know that often when we've talked about things in the past and we've either said, oh, Ian should have been on this this version of the podcast or, you know, just stuff that you've been more vocal about on Twitter. It's often having to do with as a business owner, what it looks like to hire and interact with. And we've already talked about this so far a little bit um, developers and how do you manage developers and do you sell SaaSes towards developers and what do you care about in a developer and what does and doesn't matter? And I think a lot of the conversations we tend to have online center around uh, folks, you know, I won't choose any particular terms, but the people who tend to be more on the, you know, hey, we're being pragmatic and and side and, and I, I forget what Paul said, but basically academic or architect or whatever you want to call them, these, these kind of two different battles. And so I think that as a business owner and you've been in, you know, you've been at this probably longer than a lot of people i mean your your business has been around and succeeded past the the dem, the, the demise of many many other small software type businesses uh it would really just be great to hear from you about what are your priorities when you're looking at working with developers hiring developers you know interact with them on a daily basis what are the things that you value and what makes them hireable and what are you looking for from a developer as a business owner yeah, I mean, uh, so yeah, HelpSpot and UserScape have been around for 10 years in October, um, which is in internet years, like 150, honestly. <laughs> and uh, so seen, seen a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I definitely tend to fall more on the pragmatic side of things. I come very much from the entrepreneurial side of it uh, and much less from the architecture um, side of it. So where on Twitter, a lot of times these disputes end up falling into, you know, the right way, quote unquote, to, you know, develop something and long-term um, thinking in terms of software development, which is important. And I, I hate it. I hate that I often come off as like totally dismissing that because I definitely think it's important. But, uh, but at the same time, if your business isn't around in 10 years, then worrying about what's going to happen to your code in 10 years is kind of silly. So... I do think developers tend to over-prioritize that and get too caught up in picking the right pattern or, you know, single responsibility and all these things and re-architecting it for scaling and all this stuff when um, most of that stuff is completely irrelevant unless you actually are 
going to still be around in a couple of years when you have a thousand customers. So, you know, I'm usually more worried about having a thousand customers uh, who are paying me and then hitting some growing pains over worrying about what happens when we get those thousand customers and we don't have any yet. Um, so that's just where that, that balance is. And that's, you know, what I love about Laravel, right, is that it's so much easier now to have scalable architecturally sound code, even if you do all the nasty stuff and you use facades and you do all the things you shouldn't do, um, even if you do those really horrible, horrible things, right? Uh, <laughs> you're still in like a hundred times better place than you would have been definitely 10 years ago or even five years ago yeah. um, if you just built a PHP app up from scratch. So you get a lot of that stuff for free now that um, before yeah, you really had to think about. So, so what's your... Uh... We've talked a little bit uh, on Telegram amongst ourselves about, uh, you know, there's sort of personal skills and technical skills. And I remember when I was, I would take people on interview lunches uh, before I worked at Userscape. And that was sort of one of my jobs was to feel out like their personal or and communication skills. Um, you know, how do, how do you do that? Managing remote devs? What do you have like a little checklist of things you're looking for or, or a little, a list of things that like is instant, Right. Uh, this person is off the list. We're never hiring them. Right. Yeah. That's, that's such an interesting area too, because it's very like, there's, if you're coming from a big corporate background, right. There's, you know, you might be hiring somebody who's responsible for one class, literally like this is your job is to manage this class and make it better or a very small slice of the application. Uh, but most of the people in our circles um, for, generally are smaller companies where the developers you know, much wider responsibilities, whole projects, multiple projects, um, oftentimes working remotely as, as we do at Userscape. And so, you know, I think yeah, the kind of social aspects there and how they fit into the team is so critical because you can't just have a guy who's, or a woman, uh, who's, you know, buried in the basement and they're just responsible for this bit of code and doesn't matter if they don't interact well with the other humans because it's very specific what they have to do. Um, so yeah, there's a few things I like to look for. Definitely, at least for Userscape, um, a, a kind of entrepreneurial spirit. That's something that everybody at Userscape has. Basically everybody has run their own business or um, at least has side projects uh, that are for sale. Um, so pretty much everybody is, is doing something commercially even outside of their job um, at Userscape uh, because I think that already put you in the right mindset for that small company kind of many hats thing. Uh, definitely just a personality that jives with the rest of the team, um, whatever that is for your team. Uh, but that's a really important factor because if they don't get along with everybody else, uh, and especially in a small group, then it, it creates so much disruption amongst the team and your productivity is killed because you don't have 20 developers and if a few are disgruntled, uh, things kind of still move. It's like if you have two developers and one is throwing a wrench in the works, that's, that just shuts you down completely. So um, kind of a flexible flexible personality and flexible with what, what you can ask them to do. Um, you know, at Userscape, there's a lot of times we have to do things that aren't fun, like Taylor right before um, he left, started the new back office and Eric finished that. So this is a whole infrastructure for selling HelpSpot. And this is not you know, the funnest work in the world. It's not sexy. It's not exposed to really anybody um, other than our customers for buying licenses of HelpSpot. But it's so critical um, and ties into so many other things. And 
I mean, it's a platform for HelpSpot Cloud, which is a new product we rolled out. And so, you know, you have to be willing to jump between the fun stuff of working on product and, you know, the less glamorous, but just as important kind of back, back office stuff. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, so let's say that we have some listeners and that they want to get hired. And let's just pretend that Userscape has a job up on Lara Jobs. I'm not, I'm not sure if they do or not, actually. But what, what, what are a couple things they could do to, like, get noticed? If they're yep. submitting their resume on Lara Jobs, you know, what can they do to jump to the front of the pack, sort of? Yeah, definitely. So this is a huge thing. We have had a job recently. It wasn't for a developer, but uh, a job up on Lara Jobs um, that touches on some Laravel stuff. And, and this... A lot of this is really applies to any any time you're applying for a job. Um, but the things I see, I mean, I see so much horrible stuff. It's just it's just painful. Um, to me, right off the bat, the first thing is you have to read the job description and uh, like really understand what the people want. Because I get so many like our recent role we had was for basically a support programmer or a support engineer, um, somebody to work in support, but a more technical person to do that and. I mean, we just get resumes and cover letters that are for, you know, PHP developer, Python developer. I read your description carefully for your, you know, administrative thing. And it's like, it doesn't, so obviously right there, you just throw those away because if you can't even read the job description, then forget it. Um, beyond that, you know, to me, it's all about that first impression. So having a great cover letter that's custom to the job you're applying for, I think is super important. And everybody hates this advice because you want to apply to a bunch of different jobs. And um, it takes a long time to write a good cover letter and to write 10 good cover letters that are custom to each job is a lot of work. Uh, but that's those just stand out so much when you're the hiring manager and you get 50 emails and 48 of them are, here's my resume attached. And two of them are a really nicely well-written cover letter. And that is just, those two instantly are top of the pack, um, regardless of what the resume even says. And then, you know, then you can go into the resume and just, I have infinite tips on resumes, but uh, it just, just even that point of really focusing in on the cover letter, you know, going to the company's website, read how Userscape was founded, read about the other team members, go find the stuff we do. I mean, you know, in our case, in most companies' cases, we're all over the internet. Um, you could pick out a couple items there that just show you did a, the tiniest bit of research to see if it was a good fit for you um, and to show that you have that interest. And uh, that's that's the kind of starting point for everything. Yeah. So let's go ahead and segue into maybe our second section of this podcast. Let's just say, for example, <laughs> you get a job applicant and they just feel very strongly that Star Wars Episode Two is the the greatest of all the Star Wars episodes. <laughs> this is a clean transition. <laughs> so what, what would your are they an automatic no hire? Oh man, I don't know. So they've got to be. I mean, I, how can I you know, believe <laughs> you can't trust this person in any other area of life? That's true. They, they think that's the greatest movie. Right? It might be better to just say you haven't seen them at all. You know, like we. Yeah. That's a safer bet. If you get into movies, that's very politicized. Um, yeah. It's almost better to be a liar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's a great example, right? Because they, they would know if they're following my tw me on Twitter, which they should be, because we are, it's very clear who's hiring at Uniscape, and they would have seen my yeah. recent rants about uh, yeah. how my feelings on that, and at least reference that. That's a great jumping off that's point true. for a cover letter. That's true. Even yeah, so you, following, your, following the company you're interested on Twitter, that's a good point to get uh, yeah. kind of used to 
how that how what their culture what they like yeah absolutely absolutely I don't, I, and, uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because we have this joke at User Escape kind of inside joke Taylor referencing where, um, I'm big into movies and they, Eric and Taylor haven't seen all the movies that maybe I feel like they should have seen. Um, so we, we would uh, banter about that a lot. But, uh, but Taylor has seen all the Star Wars, so I will give him that. Eric hasn't, hasn't even seen all the Star Wars, which is just... Which is mind-boggling. I don't, know how I, made, I, I don't know how I got hired. That was before I implemented the movie rule. We now have a movie rule of check, check sheet of movies you have to have seen in order to be eligible to work here. Nice. So would you put that check sheet online so that if somebody wanted to apply there, they could do like a binge watch like a weekend <laughs> where they just binge watched all the I feel like you could probably develop that list if you just um, mine just my Twitter, Twitter feed, you know, like it's all it's all in there. I mean, uh, I'll let people cheat here. I mean, I think you pretty much have to have seen Star Wars, all the Star Wars, even the new ones, and because you have to know that they're horrible. Oh, man. Um, you, have to, you have to be able to talk about how bad they are. In terms exactly. Exactly. Uh, the Godfather. That's a key one. Um, and Godfather 2, of course. Uh, the Matrix, that'd be a key one. Rounders. Street, which I haven't seen. Yeah, you have, yeah seen oh, you've seen The Matrix. Oh. No, I haven't seen Wall Street. Oh, yeah, Wall Street is the other huge one, yes. You have to have seen Wall Street. Um, Wall Street is like, I don't even know how you can run a business without seeing Wall Street. It's just like... I've never seen Wall Street. Oh, Rounders. you're killing me. I'm fired. Not, <laughs> not the new one either. That new one is stupid. The 80s one. Gordon Gecko. Everybody right. go see Wall Oh, Street. I've heard that name a lot of times before, so. Oh, classic. Classic. All right. Your business will double after you watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I know we have a little more Star Wars to talk about. Sorry, Taylor. Um, uh, I wanted to, to, to say one thing about it is that I think one of the things we've said here that's worth emphasizing is that if you're uh, thinking about working for a company for the next couple years of your life and they have the ability to either get you in a place where you can pay for rent or not, to, to pay enough attention to learn a little bit about the corporate culture, to do a little bit of research, or at least to read the thing is not a lot to ask. And of course, as like people who've hired like, you know, oh, well, we're being so selfish. But like, like when when we get job applications that have some other company's name at the, at the top, <laughs> yeah. of, which happened to me twice the last time we hired. All the time. And I'm like, could you could you not even proofread? Or when there's spelling mistakes, or when there's grammar mistakes, or when you you have you know applied for what's clearly not the right fit or whatever. All we see is I took one thing and I spent an hour writing it and I blasted it out to 40 people. Yeah. And if and if someone if we are similarly about to commit to basically like hundreds of thousands of dollars over the next couple of years paid to this person who are going to give a whole bunch of responsibility and put them, you know, in direct contact with our most important clients. And you don't care about us enough to just read about, you know, who we are and what we're doing. It, You know, that sends a message. So I I appreciate you saying that, Ian, because I think there's something to be said about like. This is like like the the person we happened to hire for our last job, Adam Wathen. His application was it's online somewhere. I'll try and reference it. Yeah. He built a custom website for his application to Titan that referenced internal Titan jokes. It referenced conversations he's had when he met people who worked at Titan. It had like him and Batman in various places, and he clearly put like a weekend's worth of work into it. And I'm not saying it was just that that got him the job, but like that level of dedication saying, this is where I want to work and this is what I want to do. It shows a lot, right, about someone who's applying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that I referenced that before, and that's a great example. I mean, somebody who goes to that length, it's almost impossible to not get noticed and at least get you yeah. past that first phase of getting noticed, which is so hard. Um, and I also think there's something to be said about thinking about 
if you are thinking about applying for a job, understanding if you're applying to a small company, because a small company is very different from applying into a big yeah. board organization. And so, you know, this is going to be probably, you know, a founder or a couple of co-founders. It's going to be their personal business that is not like a, a manager in a bigger company who, you know, this is our baby, right? This is the business we've fostered from a small tender idea you know, into this bigger thing and we love it and we care for it. And so we take it a lot more personally than, you know, just the hiring manager in the developer department at, you know, big company X. And, uh, you know, it's our money that is going, it comes out of our pocket literally. And so there's a different aspect there. And I personally try not let that factor in, right? Because I'd say, okay, you know, I try to be businessy about it and say, this is our revenues and this is what we can afford. Um, and this is the positions we need, but at the same time, you know, there is always that little inkling there that at the end of the day, this is money that, you know, we're putting out that we could just put in our pocket instead, but no, we're going to put it into people um, to grow the business. And we want to have the right people, make sure we're investing in the right people for that. Uh, I also think that, you know, there's other things that a little company uh, can do. If you're, if you're, if you are a little company, one of the things to think about is that, how to differentiate yourself from those big companies because you can't always, you know, outpay them on the surface. So, you know, definitely could developers that use Escape go work at Google for more money? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, but what are the other things that you can offer and make sure you highlight those? Can you have things like obviously working remotely is huge, which a lot of companies don't, don't allow. Can you do things like allow people to have side projects, um, which is a, another thing a lot of companies don't allow. Uh, and I think that, I mean, I personally like love side projects and sometimes like look at ooh, Taylor is on this podcast with us, right? I mean, his side project blossomed into something big enough that took him out on his own, which is, which is really cool. Um, and I love to see that and, and have been part of that and the place to foster that. So I think there's, uh, different things you can offer that are appealing to people beyond just how much the salary is. And that's another thing to think about when you're hiring from a small business perspective. That's really helpful. And I, I know that um that Taylor made the perfect segue into Star Wars a second ago and I just stole it back to job stuff, but we have more Star Wars to talk. So so lest I take up all the time with job stuff. Uh I, I had to admit to the guys before we talked that so I, I watched Star Wars four, five, six growing up. My you know, my parents read Lord of the Rings to us and we watched Star Trek uh, Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine growing up, but I'd never kind of like got really deep in a Star Wars, right? I watched four, five, and six a whole bunch of times growing up. I watched one, two, and three and thought they were abysmal and then just tried to wipe them from my memory and that's it. And I right. think all these people are kind of like really following in kind of what's going on and what's next and episode seven so i want to hear you guys for, well first of all i gotta let you know my wife has never seen any star wars ever so i'm trying to get her to see four five six before seven comes out and i'm probably just gonna skip one two three entirely but okay so i i don't know anything about it other than i saw one preview and it looked awesome T tell me about episode seven like what's coming what's going on what are you excited about what are you terrified about well I mean, just one thing on your wife. This is a serious situation we have with your wife. Because <laughs> before I got married, my wife had a series of movies she had to watch before we were allowed to yeah. get married. Um, and uh, those should be on. Obviously, Star Wars has to be on that list. Um, we also had uh, The Great Escape. Have you guys seen The Great Escape? I haven't. Oh, no. oh my it's gosh. A classic. I've like, never movie. even heard of it. Oh, 
classic movie from the 60s. She calls it Dirt in the Pockets. I made her watch it, but it's it's a World War II movie. Steve McQueen. Gotta watch that. Strange Brew. Have you seen Strange Brew? I haven't yeah, seen I any Strange of these Brew. movies. Oh, it's a movie about beer. <laughs> hey. What podcast is this? <laughs> see, see, Ian's been talking about starting a movie podcast yeah, for ages, God. and that he's would really be... just trying to turn this into it. That would be so popular. I can't, oh, I, I can't wait for that to happen. Any movies, TV series, yeah, both. We got to do that. I, I got to do that. I got to make some time. I'm trying to free up some time. We gotta, it has to happen. Or we just turn this into it. Like if we just call it the Laravel Podcast, but it's really just a new movie every week. Um, so my wife will watch Star Wars, and I told her it's happening before Episode 7 releases. Okay. So somehow you I'm going to cram three episodes of Star Wars in before Episode 7. <laughs> just take a Saturday. Just take a Saturday. And just yeah, exactly. So we have we have on the list here of questions. I'll just throw these out. There's, it's kind of two related questions. One, what would make Episode 7 just totally amazing? And then two, what would make it absolutely terrible? Like, what would, what's your best and worst case scenarios? I mean, I think we can assume that the audience has at least seen the trailer, right? We're going to go with that? Yeah, sure. I think so, yeah. I don't know. What can make it awesome? I mean, I think it's already... It'll, having just watched one of the prequels yesterday and it being so fresh in my head, I can't imagine that it could possibly be worse. I, I just don't think <laughs> it could be worse. You know, and knowing that it's J.J. Abrams, and if anything, J.J. Abrams is... Maybe he's like too concerned with plot kind of tying up and things like that. Whereas like the, the prequels are so, I mean, every scene is a giant plot hole and it's horrific. <laughs> so uh, if anything, right, like it might be too confusing this with J.J. Abrams. Like maybe there'll be too much weird stuff that all fits together crazy at the end. And it might be, might be overkill for a Star Wars. But, uh, but I feel like it can't be worse than the prequel. And if they go back to the real special effects, which, you know, they've made pretty clear that they're going to go back to more physical special effects. Um, and I don't know, have you guys seen Mad Max Fury Road? I mean, yes. that was a lot of, you know, real, there's a lot of CGI too, but a lot of physical effects. That was, that was just an amazing movie. And so uh, I feel pretty confident that it'll at least be okay. Yeah, it can only go uphill. You feel like. Yeah, I feel. Like well, it's funny because I was I was going to make a joke that like, oh, if they brought Jar Jar Binks back or whatever, but right. it was funny because Ian actually live tweeted watching through episode two last night, right. and it reminded me of how many other pieces were bad that I just try to like wipe from my memory, and the ability to bring every single piece of that badness back in episode seven would have to basically be like an intentional decision, right? right. Like <laughs> it's probably just cannot be done. Like it just opens with like a giant troll face, you know, and it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate and what's troll. his name singing and never gonna never gonna let you down in the <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> i mean yeah i think they would have, i i can't imagine it'd be worse i mean i can still be disappointed it's a, there is this factor of like can it possibly live up to expectations and to right. a certain regard like maybe it can't you know but i still think it won't be worse than than the old ones i think that's impossible yeah i feel like he's in a good spot as far as the expectations go because we just got three horrible crappy movies yeah. so yeah as long as he puts out a decent watchable movie, if, if it's not good, like I feel like there's going to be like grown men crying in the theater, <laughs> like, like with their dreams shattered. If it's if it's totally bad, that'll be me. That'll definitely be me. But I, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Just the trailer. I mean, when the trailer opens, and since we're assuming we've seen the trailer, like when it comes on, the Star Destroyer in the sand. I mean, I was literally oh like gosh. jumping up and down. And like yelling, I have goosebumps right now, thinking about it. I mean, it was so exciting, and I'm like, just the cut, just that level of detail. I just feel like if you, if you, just even that detail, like that's all I needed to see, and I felt like, all right, it's gonna be okay. We got somebody who cares.
the number of people I know that tweeted that they cried at that trailer like blew my mind. Yeah. And they were joking. They were like I literally cried. It was it was yeah, yeah it was perfect. It, it was like one of the great trailers of all time. Now I mean even just living up to the trailer is going to be difficult, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> it's going to be one of those ones. All the good moments are in the trailers. Even so, it would be better than the first three episodes. Yeah, yeah. So. I feel uh, I feel like we're on solid footing on it, not being worse than the prequels. Um, being over the top. I mean, to make it better than like. I mean, I don't know your guys' order. What's your, what's your guys' order on, uh, you know, four, five, and six in terms of? I would say five, four, six. So Empire Strikes Back is the best, then A New Hope, and then Return of the Jedi. I'm not really a big fan of Return of the Jedi because I think the Ewoks are stupid. Like to me, that's yeah. that's Jar Jar. They're kind of gimmicky. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I, it's a little close to me. I kind of block out the Ewok stuff a lot, and there are some things I like. Like I like the final <laughs> battle. I like the it's a trap, and I like. Um, some of the stuff in the beginning so I, yeah the beginning is good with yeah. the jabba's palace and the boat and all that yeah especially in the rich more original like they added a bunch of stupid stuff to make you oh laugh in there in the redone ones but in the more pure original version um yeah like jabba's uh, palace and all that stuff so i, I thought all oh, that's pretty good so i uh, it's a co- close call but probably a new hope just since it was so revolutionary is is my next favorite but uh but yeah, I don't know. For it to be, I don't, for it to be better than Empire, I think is a tall order. But it could definitely sneak in, uh, you know, into second place. I think. Yeah, for me, it would be just totally awesome for me. Like the thing I'm looking forward to is if if Luke Skywalker is just the most bad a dude like you've yeah. ever seen. But like he's yeah. not. But he's not trying. Like he's not right. even trying to be. Right. <laughs> that, that would be my favorite part. I have no idea what they're gonna do with like Luke. Like oh, I, I, I just can't fathom how they're gonna bring. I mean, I think Han Solo's the most clear how they might rework him back in, right? But the other guys, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, you know, where I read this going? really. I read this really interesting interview response with J.J. Abrams where he said when he was deciding like whether or not to do Star Wars, the thing that like really pulled him in is this question of who is Luke Skywalker, which I found really interesting yeah. because to him it's not as clear cut like who is this guy whose dad was Darth Vader and killed a bunch of people and then he like watched his dad die and all that. Like this guy might be more troubled, I think, than like yeah. than people might realize i agree I, I actually just uh saw this thing just last night also uh that was kind of fascinating where luke skywalker apparently uh in the original kind of manuscript he was actually supposed to become i won't i don't want to say the s word but he was supposed to become an evil go to the dark side uh at the end of the movie and uh you know they obviously switch that up and he ends up good and he has the reunion with his fa- last moments with his father and that's all touching but uh but so yeah, maybe he comes off as more of a someone conflicted between the light and the dark and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think so. Especially if, when you think back to that Empire Strikes Back scene where he's like in the Dagobah forest and he sees mm-hmm. like that vision of Vader and it's his, his face in the mask yep. and stuff like that. They could tie some of that stuff back in and make Luke a little bit more ambiguous or at least kind of tortured by his family history. I definitely see that. Well, especially. I was just going to say also because uh, he was, you know, he's the person who's supposed to bring balance to the force. And if his balance, that implies that he's on the light and the dark and not just the pure good guys. So, Especially with JJ, we know he knows how to tell kind of nuanced stories, right? And the idea that just like Luke is just all good all the time, right? He went through his first little cathartic process where he was a little bit of a rebel. And now he's just great forever. That's the thing. Like time has passed, right? Has he just stayed like 
just superhero great all the time? Probably not, right? Yeah. And to be honest about those kind of aspects of every person, I think is something JJ's really good at. So I'm really just looking forward to the first third of the movie too, because I think there's going to be so much in there about, um, you know, like so it ends. The last one ends, and it's like everybody's happy, and the empire's defeated, and just mm-hmm. seeing how they bring them back into the fold. Uh, and I think they'll try to tie that together really strongly and make that really believable. So I'm I'm curious to see how they you know, create this, this new empire and how that all works out. So that'll be cool. Curious to see if they, uh, one of the things I loved about Battlestar Galactica is that they are, they flip at some point during the show, you realize that your favorite characters have been the ones that are actually in power. And so there's some episodes in Battlestar where they start like poking at that being like, well, have they always used their power responsibly? And you you answer, of course, right? They're the protagonists. Right. They must have. And then there's some people who are like, no, no. And so there's something about like, even when you're the good guys and you're the ones who've rescued and saved everything, that doesn't mean you can always do only good, right? So yeah, I'm super excited to see that. Battlestar Galactica, so, that's one I have to I have to watch. I've oh, never watched that. And I got to get better about my Star Trek. I, I have seen half of the new next generation there and I've seen most of the movies, but I got I to gotta get back. I got to sit down and go through them all I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about the movies yet. I mean, I I, I want to hear from you, Taylor, because you. I watched them as a kid. So you. But my my guess would be I would just because I watched it this way. I would just say watch through Next Generation the whole way, watch through DS Nine the whole way, watch through Voyager the whole way. That's what I would recommend to somebody. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. But it's taken me. It's taken me two <laughs> years. Two years to get through <laughs> Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Watching, and that's watching maybe two episodes uh, a week. You know, not very much. Two or three episodes a week. Yeah, there's so much of it. That's the thing. It's like it's it's so yeah. like you can't take it on. It's like I don't even have time to watch like our one hour shows, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever yeah. the things we watch now, like here and there. It's like an hour a week is hard. And, I don't know. Fun. Like taking on a three year project to watch Star Trek feels like work. Yeah, I feel like once Star Wars comes out, we're definitely gonna have to bring Ian back for a f- maybe like an hour long Star yeah. Wars recap. We're, we're gonna need more time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of which we could clearly talk about star wars all day but we're way over time so before we cut out for today clearly Aaron, ian you're coming back to talk more about this how can folks who love listening to you how they can how can they stay connected to you um how can they pay you money how can they get involved in what you're doing in any way shape or form yeah so i mean i'm all over the place but um you know our main main stuff is uh help spot com, and then of course we run lara jobs at larajobs.com so if you're looking for work um, take a look or if you're looking to find Laravel devs uh, that's the spot um, and we talked about remote work uh, a bit on the podcast and I have some more stuff coming up in the remote work space in the future I think as well so that's an early project I'll tease it a little bit here but more info on remote work in general kind of be coming out of Userscape in the future so stay tuned you also have a couple newsletter and type things uh, yeah are they still going nah. Go to LaraJobs.com. Sign up for that newsletter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Ian, it's been a total pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us and gracing us with your wisdom. And the rest of you don't have video, but we are talking with video. So thank you for just kind of putting that beautiful mug right there just, you know, for the duration of the last half hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> guys, it was a pleasure talking to you all. Anything else you want to talk about before we go? Nope. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Until next time, Laravel Podcast. We'll see you all later. Thanks. Yeah.